0: Hello, welcome to the Canopy Boulder podcast. I'm Celia Daly, I'm the marketing manager here, and today we are joined by Tyler Stratford and Greg Huffaker from Canna Advisors. And we're gonna talk a little bit about compliance um, and sort of the regulations and making sure that you are on track to stay within the laws um, when setting up a cannabis business. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, maybe you could give us a little bit of an intro on who you are and sort of how you work with Canna Advisors.
1: Great. I'll go first. Uh, My name is Tyler Stratford. I've been in the cannabis industry now for coming up on eight years this next spring. Uh, Here at Canna Advisors, I'm the manager of retail operations, so I primarily advise and consult on the dispensary side or order fulfillment side of operations. Um, But I also focus on our strategic partnerships, so whatever Can Advisors does not do, we have an extensive network of partners who provide a wide variety of services and products to to service our clients with everything that they need for their operation.
2: And this is Greg Huffaker. I'm the program manager over here at Canna Advisors. I am a licensed attorney, uh, but have been working as a consultant here where I'm in charge of our client services team is responsible for writing all of our content for our clients, whether that be an application, a business plan, standard operating procedures, uh, really whatever we can do to help our clients.
0: Awesome. And I guess I should have mentioned probably before you guys introduced yourselves that Can Advisors is is the leading, I think cannabis consultant out there, um, really working with clients from the very beginning, so getting your application in order, all the way through the build out of um, both business plans and the, and the facility itself, and then even through to MA if I'm correct.
1: Yes, absolutely. So after we help them get that license, we'll help them build out their operation. That doesn't just mean their physical building, but of course their staff and the organization itself. So that includes training and certifications. Um, and then we'll help them throughout their operation if, if they need it. But we try and train people to enable them to, to run, you know, teach them how to fish, if you will, instead of fishing for them. Um, and then we'll help them through their mergers and acquisition progress. So, should they want to expand and get somebody else kind of under the umbrella of their corporation, or should they want to be acquired by somebody else, uh, will help them through that process as well.
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a one-stop shop, I suppose. (laughs) All right. Exactly. So let's jump jump into it. Um, You know, we're talking about compliance today. It's obviously a hot topic. It's really important um, in such a highly regulated industry like cannabis. So Let's talk a little bit about what it is. What, what does that include, the term compliance? What are we thinking about when, when we are talking about compliance, and why is it so important? So
2: I would say, you know, in the broadest terms, compliance is compliance with the law. And, uh, you know, expanding out from that idea, it's not just complying with exactly what's on the books, but being a good, responsible business owner has a lot of best practices that I would say fall under the larger umbrella of compliance. Um, At its most basic level, and I'd say the absolute minimum for any cannabis business, is really fully understanding the regulations, understanding how they apply to you, and understanding who to go to when you're not sure if you're in compliance or not. Now, why is it important? Uh, Anyone listening to this podcast is going to know our industry is under a microscope. Um, You need to make sure that you are following the letter of the law to the extent you can, to be a good representative of this industry, to avoid um, having interference from a government body, and uh, ultimately to keep your business its in your own self-interest.
1: Yeah, and the only thing I would add is that um, I I view it as kind of two two kinds of compliance when you're looking at the operation itself. um, you're, You're talking about your installed compliance like your physical compliance, is my building up to code, is it ADA compliant? Do I have the proper cameras installed? Do I have the proper barriers between secured areas and signages and things like that? And then I would also call the second kind of compliance static compliance or ongoing compliance. Basically, with every move you make in in a cannabis operation, are you in compliance or not? Am I allowed to, at the dispensary level, sell this much at any one time um, at the cultivation level, do I have um, too many plants or too much square footage of canopy that more than I'm allowed, that sort of thing. Uh, and then, of course, in the manufacturing realm, you know, am I using non-food grade materials a non-food safe kitchen, that kind of thing. So really, I, I view compliance, um, of course, as what Greg was saying, but definitely manifested in two different ways.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, I, I went to a, a talk, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, and one of the topics they were discussing was sort of compliance as a as a competitive advantage, right, and sort of what happens when prohibition ends, because I think we all can agree that it's sort of more of a when um, than an if at this point, point. and so I don't know if you guys can speak at all to that or sort of getting ready for the end of prohibition and what it means to be compliant now.
2: So the, you know, with the end of prohibition is going to greatly increase the value of any existing cannabis company. And you're going to have larger corporations coming in and wanting to purchase your company. Uh, These corporations are going to end that conversation very quickly if they get any whiff that you are not 100% compliant and haven't always been. Mm -hmm. So getting, you know, if you think of your, uh, your large pharmaceutical companies who might be coming in and interested in purchasing you, they're used to always being compliant themselves and expect any company that they're going to take over to you know have that baseline. Um, to them, it would just be part of due diligence, uh, uncovering that you're fully compliant. So I don't think it's even a matter of it knocking down your uh, selling price. It's a matter of being able to continue the conversation
1: or not. And even in the short term, I would say that um, obviously each compliance violation is, is costly, not just for um, the fees that it incurs and the tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars that, that we've seen in some states, uh, you know, in their combined uh, compliance fees, if you will. Um, but also sometimes they make you close your doors and recertify and things like that. And that's lost revenue as well. So short and long term, it, it really can affect your, your bottom line.
2: I'll also say a big part of compliance right now is complying with federal laws, even though you may be operating a federally illegal business. So you need to be following HIPAA, which is a federal law. You need to be following OSHA, which are federal laws. Just because it's federally illegal doesn't mean you're not still responsible for federal compliance.
0: Right. All right. So let's talk about, I mean, outside of those are obviously those are um, the sort of federal ones are overarching HIPAA, OSHA, that kind of thing. What about concerns uh, per sort of area, right? So let, maybe let's just start with cultivators. What are cultivators sort of, what should they be thinking about? What are they tending to pay attention to? What are some things maybe that they're overlooking?
1: Um, well, I'll say right now that, uh, you know, ca- the cannabis plant, it's, it's a plant. First of all, I, I think that right now it's, uh, it's primarily seen as an, an indoor plant for some reason, which kind of doesn't, makes sense overall except for how you view, or how it's been viewed from a legal standpoint. So um, when I'm talking about these cultivators and how they're preparing for, for eventual federal regulation and things like that, what they should be paying attention to is how efficient can they make their operation. And that usually does not include building an indoor warehouse where you're not utilizing the natural sunlight. Um, not only are you needing to be efficient, but you know I, I'd say at this point if you're not building out your facility to adhere to these regulations um, like ADA and, and FDA, you're going to be rebuilding that facility or investing a lot of money into retrofitting that facility um, pretty, pretty shortly here down the line as you know as you said, I think we all we all think eventually cannabis will be legalized on a federal level. so, um, immediately overnight when that happens we will be under the purview of the federal government with all of these regulations
2: yeah and a, a couple of things just to add on to that I'd say I see a lot of violations in cultivations for things like uh, obstructed cameras you just start uh, you know stacking boxes in a corner and never think about the storage room camera and then it turns out you covered it up and you're getting several thousand dollars a day for an obscured camera fine. Uh, another a lot of compliance violations come out of uh, people having stuff show up in testing that does not pass, whether that be heavy metals, pesticides, some other you know foreign contaminant that's not supposed to be in there. A uh, healthy IPM integrated pest management, excuse me, strategy can help uh, mitigate that, but um, also you know maybe thinking about instituting an internal testing program or paying for additional third-party testing. Can also help you identify those compliance issues prior to getting a fine for them.
1: And I would say, especially when it comes to what you're putting on the plant, sometimes uh, growers are not as are not paying as much attention as they should to not only their nutrient and pesticide manufacturers, but what tests those products have to adhere to. Because some of the some of the pesticides, while they will pass their own individual tests for not having um, a certain percentage of pesticides. There might be, for example, pyrethrins left over and some neem oil that will eventually show up in your bud, in your flower, or in your in your uh, concentrate, whereas it passed the test for an organic, quote-unquote, pesticide, it will, you know, have an ingredient that is not approved for, for consuming, um, if you will, at that level. So cultivators need to pay attention to not only their nutrient uh, content, but, you know, exactly what levels of certification they adhere to so that they're not putting unknown substances on their plants.
0: Yeah. Great. Um, all right. So what about, what about retailers?
1: Uh, as, as the re- as the retail expert here at Canada advisors, I'd say, you know, the big glaring examples that we see are people like, uh, I don't know if you've heard about Sweetleaf and what happened in Denver mm-hmm. with their 2026 20, somewhat licenses. Well, first off they'd made a big mistake by having, um, a bad policy in their SOPs. So I'd say the first thing to pay attention to is having your SOPs up to date with compliance. And the second second side of that, because this is where the largest infractions occur, is um, the employees. The employees need to be well-versed and trained on those SOPs and on your workflow procedures so that there is, there is no room left for error, whether it means whether it means the owners of these retail operations protecting themselves and having them sign off that they've received a certain training or reviewed a certain SOP to protect themselves, that's not being paid attention to as greatly as it should right now. Um, and the and the last thing is that, uh, from what I have to say, is that uh, we really need to be careful with what we say at the register with regards to the efficacy of cannabis right now. The The best way to handle it is really to say, you know, ask your doctor to kind of have a zero tolerance policy. Almost every blood tender should be saying, you know what, ask your doctor, or what did your doctor recommend? Um, it puts you at a greater risk the more you speak about uh, this strain or this this product has been shown to this and that, you know, affect whatever. Um, that that puts you at greater risk. And I imagine there's a couple of people right now who are screaming at
2: their phones about the sweet leaf situation who've been following it really closely and say, "But." You know, at least there's an argument to be made that they weren't technically out of compliance. And I think this is a really good time to bring up, yes, maybe, and yet those stores are closed. Mm -hmm. That, you know, business is irreparably damaged from this. So whether on a, you know, legal fine point they end up to have technically been in compliance, they played with fire here. Um, And, you know, that's showing it's not – You testing the compliance limits of an agency is not beneficial to you if your business gets shut down. Um, So there's a, you know, sort of good point here to circle back on in that compliance is not just, you know, can you find some legal loophole to technically be following the law? No, it's being a good, responsible person. Obviously, the spirit of that law is, you know, let's not let out-of-state people purchase a whole huge amount of cannabis that they cannot consume while visiting in state and you know finding a way to get around that um needs to get removed from this industry's thinking because we are really responsible for showing that we can be
0: compliant uh that's that's a really interesting point about sort of uh the loopholes and and realizing that finding loopholes really doesn't help you i think it's a great point i mean sweetleaf is no longer so i guess that's enough information there <laughs> um, um so all right, what about extractors? And maybe you guys can kind of explain um, you know, what an extractor is or sort of where we draw that line on on what we would consider an extractor and then maybe talk a little bit about their compliance issues as well.
2: Absolutely. So sort of all cannabis products fall into a tree and it's either going in the ha huh, no pun intended, um, mm-hmm. it's either being sold as the flower. Um, directly unmanufactured, other than a drying and curing process, or the cannabinoids are getting extracted out of plant material and turned into some other product. It might just be that extract by itself, or that extract might go into an edible or a topical or you know, a variety of other things it could end up in. So um, an extractor is the part of the process in which people are just extracting the cannabinoids out of the plant material. And that generally comes from a closed loop extraction machine, which is a big piece of equipment that looks like it belongs in a science lab because it does. It's just a whole bunch of different pressurized tanks and valves and stuff. And that machine is using a combination of heat and pressure with a uh, solvent to pull the cannabinoids out. Some states treat um, extraction that is not using a chemical, but just pressure and heat as a separate thing, and some states consider it to be part of extraction. Generally, within the industry, people think of it as part of extraction. Um, Manufacturing, on the other hand, is taking that extracted product and doing something with it, either a post-extraction refinement, um, in which you are pulling more stuff out of your resultant material to concentrate it, It can be adding terpenes back into THC to uh, increase the flavor profile and the entourage effect, Um, or it could be something like mixing it with a butter or an oil um, in order to make an edible. So, Uh talking about extractors and um, their compliance concerns, the hugest for them is safety. Uh, A classic example of this in the industry is a New Mexico cannabis company that had an explosion. From their closed-loop extraction machine, the DEA came in and seized all of their plants and cash, and then did not water those plants. So even though uh, you know the case eventually worked itself out, um, because of the safety violation on the compliance side, they ended up losing a lot. Um, and I'll let turn it over to Tyler to talk a little bit more about some of those intricacies.
1: Yeah. So, so really, you know, overall, we're talking about ultimate c- compliance. Isn't like Greg said, um, it's not just following the letter of the law, but you know, being a good business owner that that comes with transparency and ultimate disclosure of what it is you're doing. Um, a lot of times in the extraction facility, <clears throat> they will use a variety of different solvents. Some are flammable, some are not. Mm-hmm. No matter what the room that this uh, this machine is encased in usually has to be has to adhere to a higher standard than the surrounding rooms, and then of course to adhere to compliance with having every area um, under camera, you have to buy a crazy expensive blast-proof camera in case an explosion does happen in that room. Um, a lot of times people will just let these rooms go go by the wayside as far as their maintenance of of these different. Um, Uh, of these different controls sometimes uh, these extraction machine companies won't be as well established so they won't have their proper maintenance cycles in place. So what extractors manufacturers should be looking into or should be paying attention to is what pieces and parts of their machines need to be serviced, when do they need to be serviced, not just for compliance reasons but for wear and tear. Um, And then um, certifications for people who are handling the gases in, in any way, shape or form. Um, And and really making sure that the environment itself is Is held to kind of a higher standard of cleanliness than almost any other part of the operation Uh, at this point You're concentrating things at a very high level. So if there are contaminants, you could be concentrating those contaminants Um, people are also using um, these extracted, um, you know uh, materials and usually in uh, greater volumes or they're consuming them within their bodies in a different way other than just vaporizing or smoking them. Um, so it interacts and touch with, touches with a lot of different parts of the body. So if your food practices, for instance, are not up to par, um, you could have a big recall situation, which is another big kind of stain on your reputation, kind of like Sweetleaf had. Um, if you have a recall of your Edible products, for instance, for a contaminant or something like that. That's a pretty big stain on people wanting to you know, eat that edible ever again. Um, so maintaining your inspections, maintaining your equipment manufacturing uh, or your equipment maintenance um, is, is very huge. And then of course cleanliness in those extraction manufacturing operations.
2: Yeah, and Tyler reminded me of uh, something that's important to point out that, you know, I was sort of overly uh, focused perhaps on the getting it set up right and safely, which is of crucial importance. But most of the violations don't come out of that because you just don't get your certificate in the first place if you don't have it set up right. A lot of the violations come from really correctable things like, yes, you have a spark-proof room, but it gets hot, so you leave the door open. Um, and then an inspector walks in and says you were, you know, operating in a non spark free environment because you left the door open. Mm -hmm. Having, you know, really uh, solid SOPs in place and making sure people follow them is crucial to avoiding violations for an extractor.
0: Sure, sort of get it set up the right way, but then make sure you're, you're operating correctly going forward. Yeah. So, okay, so then switching gears a little bit, let's talk about kind of over different states. I mean, you guys are working in pretty much every state um, is my understanding. So can you talk a little bit about, are we seeing any harmonization in regulations requirements between states or is it really truly like every state kind of has its own um, list of things to get in order?
2: Uh, so more the latter. A lot of states like to copy-paste laws and regulations from other states that are already up and operating but they never do a complete copy-paste. They always like to take their favorite pieces and think they can improve on other things. And that leads to this um, just ridiculous patchwork of how laws actually work. Um, In practice, the definition sections of laws are the most important part, and people will copy-paste from another state, but they won't take those definitions with them. For example, one state we worked in had a huge um, amount of stuff copied and pasted from other states about CBD, um, but they defined CBD as any uh, cannabinoid that's not THC, which is not how those other states were defining it. Now, that meant that uh, you could sell THCA oil and a variety of other cannabinoids that have psychoactive and non-psychoactive effects. But it was being followed in such a way as if there were no psychological or psychoactive effects. So um, it, it was needless to say problematic. You know, another issue you have here is uh, the federal laws. There aren't federal regulators ensuring their compliance. So states, even though they're all making sure that people are following OSHA and HIPAA, aren't necessarily making sure that you're following OSHA and HIPAA in at all the same ways. Are looking for at all the same uh, compliance trip ups. So that can lead to some pretty um, tricky compliance issues for multi-state operators.
1: Yeah, and then on top of that, you know, once they're up and running, you have them implementing these with I would call them track and trace or state systems. Um, you know, there's everybody knows about metric. MJ Freeway has a, a program called LEASE. Uh, Biotrack THC has a state system um, but you know metric has the most state systems I want to say like it's in the teens or something like that but um, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of harmonization from from metric in that they're certifying a lot of these point-of-sale and seed-to-sale tracking uh, softwares to integrate with them um, and communicate with that software what that does is it really helps Um, The operators from having to manually input the data needed to that that the state requires them to put in that system And it's it's much easier on them as far as time and accuracy of of reporting Um, but what we're seeing in the other states with uh, Biotrack and MJ freeways leaf data is that there's kind of a a Changing of hands. Um, Washington state was run by biotrack and and now it's run by MJ freeways leaf and there's just been kind of a mess uh, going on up there for the last few years with them canceling Biotrack's contract early and then MJ Freeway coming in and not really delivering on their promises. Um, and then initially there was some issues with metric getting up and running, but really they've kind of begun to listen to the industry and um, allow us to work with them a lot more easily. I think that's why they're becoming uh, stickier, if you will, in other states. And then the one outlier, I would say that that to me is the biggest outlier is the state of Pennsylvania. They created a state track and trace and seed to sale system with MJ Freeway's leaf data and their point of sale system, um, which I believe they're calling platform or whatever it is. But they made a uh, a basically a utility a monopoly out of MJ Freeway in that state. They they disallowed any integration with MJ freeway um, and And so that really it kind of just limits operators from being able to even mine data for their own use um, You know what what kind of patient visits have they had what, what kind of order sales averages? Do they have order times things like that? It's just harder for them to work um, But in most states, it's, that's not the case we see more some more harmonization between what I would call the state track and trace system and see to sale tracking or see to sale compliance softwares.
0: So I guess kind of following that, what, you know, do you have any sort of tips on kind of how to begin that process either for new businesses or potentially for more established businesses that are sort of looking at this and looking at the expansion of the industry and realizing they need to kind of tighten things up a little bit.
2: I think there's two, Those are two really different tracks and both crucial. If you're getting it started right, I think one of the most important things is finding an attorney you're happy with. And uh, the thing I most want to emphasize here is don't be afraid to shop around to find an attorney you like. Um, There's a lot of attorneys in the cannabis space who do not have any business being in this space and will not be in this space in five to 10 years. and why it's so crucial to have an attorney that you like is because you're going to have a million little questions when you're getting started. And you really want this person to feel like a partner in the process. Um, the sort of next step when you're in a new business beyond an attorney who gets expensive quick is finding a really detail-oriented person to be in charge of your compliance. Somebody who just wants to eat, sleep, and breathe these regulations to turn them into SOPs and to uh, then take those SOPs into your actual facility and change those SOPs and figure out what's wrong with them and fix them up. Um, It's a lot easier to get it off the ground right than it is uh, for the other group you mentioned, those who are trying to get organized, um, to try to get compliant. This requires an enormous amount of work and almost certainly some outside help. Um, Now you can bring that internal, by hiring somebody, um, or you can find a variety of uh, consultants who will either come in or help you remotely, uh, a little bit of both. There's a a huge variety out here, and I'm not trying to build up to a pitch here, I'm just saying (laughs) I have not seen a, uh, a business try to get compliant and do it successfully without bringing in somebody new. And that really has to do with, if you have a culture of not following the laws, it's very hard to institute that without an infusion of an
1: outside influence.
2: Sure. Yeah,
1: I would say in, in starting up, you want you know, part of what we talk about or a phrase I've heard in this industry is we're in the business of compliance. If we comply, then we can do whatever it is in this industry that we do. But I would say even more so, you want to create a culture of compliance at your operation, um, speaking of culture uh and and at that point it becomes you know everybody's first question is what i'm doing compliant or is it not Mm -hmm. um and as far as like tips for people i was going to say the first two things i was going to say was yep hire a lawyer and go exactly with greg's advice and then i was going to say if you don't have experience in cannabis and depending on what kind of experience you have in cannabis hire a consultant but Make sure you only hire them for for what you need them for. A lot of times consultants will sell you on the all or nothing package. The truth is that a lot of people do have a lot of strengths that come from other industries and a lot of experience that does directly apply to cannabis. And a lot of very intelligent people can learn this industry quickly and adhere to the compliance regulations if they're vigilant and they pay attention and they devote time. the the consultant should be hired for the things that you don't understand or don't know how to do so that you can gain that knowledge and experience. Um,
2: Yeah, Yeah, and a final thought here is don't be afraid to ask the regulator. Um, A lot of these laws were written quickly and therefore poorly, and reaching out and saying, you know, boy, I just don't understand what, you know, this particular section says. Can you help me out? A lot of regulators are really happy to get those calls.
0: Yeah that's great advice. So, all right. So final question, um, you know, we obviously can't be bolder. We work with ancillary companies, right? So we're working with the companies um, that are sort of supporting the industry. So, you know, I'm wondering if there's pain points that you guys have seen, you know, opportunities, maybe for innovation. Um, you know, I know we talked a little bit about some sort of different compliance softwares and c to sales tracking and that kind of thing. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on, kind of holes that you're seeing that could be filled potentially by innovative products?
1: So uh, I have it in my, you know how there's a company called Uline and they basically do office supplies for any office, right? Anything you could need. Right now, especially in extraction facilities, you have people adapting a lot of equipment for the uses that they need in extraction and manufacturing facilities like a sil- something to pack a cylinder for an extraction machine that doesn't that tool doesn't exist, right? So it would be it would be really great if this industry had a U line of items that were researched and vetted in, to be in compliance, made of the right materials, et cetera, to be in those kinds of environments, but made for cannabis. And then um, there's there's one area that, and I don't even know if this is possible. And the day I see it is the day I. Invest what little money I have into this company in the industry, but the second someone can provide a, a software or um, a service that can guarantee my compliance, that that will be incredibly huge, and I will put all of my money into that company. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you heard it here first.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I,
2: I agree entirely with Tyler. In fact, I'm sure we've had a similar conversation before, but if I think my like product i've always loved to see is some kind of subscription service where they come in and just audit you like the state audits every month you know and every month that you pass you get some continuing certification that you can put up on your website and your door i think a business like that would just be great because you could really apply that kind of uniform laws we'd love to see here that uniform best practices and compliance it's not written down anywhere and is inconsistent across states. But if you could tell the consumer, you know, hey, I have passed this really high bar for being part of the cannabis industry um, as a responsible partner, there's, I think, so much value in that to the consumer that you could charge a lot as a company to to give that stamp.
1: Yeah. Oh, and guess what? I passed it four times this year and have never failed one for the last five consecutive years, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah. That's
0: um, awesome.
1: I've,
2: yeah, obviously something like that would require a fairly sizable army of uh, <laughs> people to be in the stores doing all of this checking. And you'd certainly need a, a humorously large insurance policy. But um, <laughs> I, I think we'll see such a company in the not too distant future.
0: Yeah, you're probably right about that. All right. Well, you know, I really appreciate your time. You guys have shed a lot of light on sort of the whole world of compliance. Who knew it could be so interesting. Um, So thank you guys. We appreciate having you. Um, And I don't know if you have. Absolutely.
2: I I have one last tip. If you're for people who are feeling nervous right now, read the regulations. They aren't that scary. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Pick, pick up, you know, if you're a CEO listening to this or a bud tender and you're thinking, oh, boy, I'm not sure we're compliant. It's not that hard to get a hold of this stuff. And if you're not sure how, then all you have to do is call that regulator. And they'll help you out.
0: Awesome. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll hopefully we'll see you around sometime soon.
1: Yep, next, next Tuesday.
0: Next Tuesday. See you there.
1: <laughs> all right.
0: Thank you, guys. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Well, that's where we're going to leave it. As always, if you have a topic in mind that you want to learn more about in the cannabis business world, send us an email at info at Also, I hope to see as many of you as possible at our fall 2018 cohort launch party this coming Tuesday, October 2nd. Um, so come out and see us there. All right. Well, see you next time.
1: Now for the disclaimers. Please do not take any information from the Canopy Boulder podcast or its guests as investment advice. Be sure to contact your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. So thank you for listening and please join us for another Canopy Boulder podcast episode coming to you soon.